rifles and rosary beads. You hold on to what you need. Vicodin, morphine, dreams, rifles and rosary beads. Yellow smoke you're listening to after the encore the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades what happens after the encore i'm your host joe shaw and on today's episode i get the pleasure of speaking to mary gaucher mary is a folk singer and grammy award nominated artist she's been at it for multiple years now since the early 90s and she has quite a story to tell about starting in the industry later in life being able to enter in fully and authentically as herself and really how just her straight passion of wanting to only sell a hundred tickets to a specific listening room catapulted her into stardom but yet she still has that same grounded personality and goal of what she wants to do it's a fantastic conversation mary is a wonderful artist and a beautiful human being and i'm excited for you to get to hear it so this story with mary perfectly fits into the volume five theme of who runs the world because we're talking about badass women in music women who have paved the way and women who are coming to take the genre to new heights. Mary is definitely someone who's laid a lot of great groundwork and I'm excited for you to hear it. So stick around. I'll be right back with Mary after this. And homes, kids in the street alone. Listening to After the Encore, I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and with me at this time, I'm very excited to welcome Mary Gaucher to the podcast. Mary, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing really well today, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm super excited to have you on, specifically this volume, as we're talking about badass women in music, and we're going to examine the music industry through a very specific lens and talk about where we've been and all of the great work we have ahead of us to continue to have a more diverse and inclusive music industry for sure. But I want to I wanna take a step back before we go into your personal journey, and I like to level set at the start of these episodes with a question. And, and Mary, I'd like to ask you, what does music mean to you? Um, well, it, 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 it's a way to connect. It's uh, a way to connect with yourself, with others, uh, with the creativity, with the creator. Mu- music is connection. And I, I think music is, is a, a, a life force. And, um, uh, it's a very powerful force that I have deep respect for. Mm-hmm. Well said. It is this incredible thing. We were talking before we even went hit record about the power that a song and music has over us where it can it can change our mood in a variety of ways. And I talked about being very stressed about new sense of work. And as exciting as it is, it's also, you know, it has a moment where it can be easy to not decompress. And so I talked about putting on specifically your music in this instance and really allowing the relaxation to wash over me, able to reset my mind and be able to be present for the moment. And I think we oftentimes get so wrapped up, we don't realize the power in music, in those abilities to connect with ourselves, with those around us, and with our community at large. And when we take the ability to absorb that connection and allow us to seek out new people or new conversations, there's a lot there. And I think it's extremely, extremely powerful. Now, I want to talk about your background and and really start towards the beginning and i know that you were adopted uh when you were young and and so i'd really love to know let let's just from the take a chronological aspect and i'd really love to know what was your life like growing up and let's let's chart through how you ended up becoming the incredible songwriter you are today but let's start at the very beginning what what were some of those early formative years like for you um well, uh, I adoption is complicated, um, and um, it's hard for me to move through time in a linear way in this in this conversation. Sure. Um, I, as a small child. Uh, um, I, I think I was uh, happy. I think uh, my parents were adoptive parents were fairly happy. Um, but as an adolescent, things got really tricky and uh, I got into uh, drugs and alcohol and and trouble and um, I didn't understand what was driving me. I didn't know what the problem was. Uh, my parents' marriage was falling apart, but I didn't understand and and until i became a songwriter i couldn't make sense of the story so i could i could tell you a lot of different it's hard to get in 
and comment on the confusion of my sure. early years without bringing up the reality of of the confusion. And, and so part of what drove me to so songwriting, um, I never really aspired to be a great entertainer or to make music um, to uh, escape uh, life. Uh, for, I'm not an escapist artist. Sure. I'm not really a... A, 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 an artist that looks towards uh, the medium as a way of escaping. I, I, I think of it exactly the opposite. I use my art to go straight into the, into the, the challenges of life and, and make sense of it. That's what I, I see as, as the job of an artist. So I didn't make sense of my childhood until I started writing about my childhood. Gotcha. And so it's hard to go back and, and comment on it without saying the songs helped me to understand what happened. Mm. And, you know, when I was much younger, I blamed my parents for my pain. Sure. Both sure. the parents I knew and the parents I didn't know. Right. Uh, now that I'm older and I've written about it extensively, I understand everybody was doing the best they could. And we were all working with, with the cards we were dealt. Uh, and uh, it's nobody's fault. Um, and so there's been a lot of, a lot, a lot of, of, of highs and lows. The early years were, were, um, you know, yeah. the reason I became a songwriter, I think is because of what happened, um, um, prior to becoming a songwriter. I think sure. it drove me to the art form to help me cope. Yeah. You know, I think that's well said. There's so many instances where, we as individuals have things that happen to us, whether we're aware of them or not. And we're not always able to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, understand or process what is happening to us, around us, in the situation we're in. And we find, we know, this is what I say, is we know as individuals that something is is perhaps off or not quite the way it should be. And we're not sure how to deal with that feeling. And there's a lot of different ways in which we can process that. You mentioned drugs and alcohol. That's one way. A lot of people express it in different ways, but with still finding a way to deal with the, this type of situation and reality that we find ourselves in. And then we do seek out means and methods to make sense of it. However, many years later, I recently went through therapy for several years to understand the trauma and the situations that I was in for a period of time because I didn't understand. And it wasn't, you know, I, I don't, I want to be clear. It wasn't physical trauma. It was emotional, but it was still something where I was not aware of what was going on. And I had to sit with someone. I had to talk through it and I had to revisit scenarios and write it out and understand this was the reality that I was in. And I wasn't aware of it. And by recognizing it as difficult and as hard as it was, it allowed me to do what you talked about as far as songwriting, go right into the pain, go right into the situation as a way to process it and then work through it. My, my therapist had a great saying where he said, you never want to get over something. You want to work through it because by working through it, then you're able to understand the situation you were in, take what you need from it and be able to have closure on things that you don't need. But he said, if you get over it, then you're only burying it for it to creep up again later. So I love what you were talking about. So, so talk to me when we talk about 
music and, and songwriting as well. Um, I, I know you started songwriting a little bit later in life, but were you, did you have musical inclinations early on? Did you, were you drawn to the guitar? What, what was that like for you? Or did you just kind of start going a little bit later and it kind of all happened at once? What was that like for you? Um, well, I was a fan long before I was, uh, um, a songwriter and, um, uh, but songs and songwriters, um, always spoke to me. Um, uh, they, they, um, they were like, um, what would I call road signs to, to, to where I wanted to go. Sure. Um, and it took me a long time to have the sense of self to become a songwriter, but I always listened to words. Um, I think the first three records I bought was American Pie uh, at 17 and uh, uh, Killing Me Softly. Mm. Like as a freaking 10 year old, I think. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I bought the records of the songwriters yep. and I bought bought into and still do uh the 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 language uh that songwriters use to communicate emotion which is melody uh and and uh, metaphor and uh sung poetry yeah. um and uh and i i oh, there was always um a pull that was much more uh than entertaining um, I found uh, a connection with music that I think was was quite deep, um, and uh, uh, that uh, eventually became uh, the the pull to write songs. But that wasn't possible for me until I dealt with uh, a lot of the 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 trauma that I carried. I had to get sober. And then I had to understand that the reason I had a drug and alcohol problem was because I had trauma. Yeah. And a lot of it related to adoption and, and pre-adoption. I spent a year uh, in, a, in a Catholic charities orphanage in New Orleans before I was adopted. Mm. So that pre-verbal uh, year without, without a mother, the first year, really screwed me up. Sure. And... Um, so you know, I've just spent a lot of time making sense of that with, with the music and healing it with the music. Yeah. So um, I didn't know any of this when I was listening to songs in my bed. You know, Casey Kasem's yeah. <laughs> American Top Forty every yeah. Friday night or Saturday night. I don't remember. It's one of those nights. Right. Um, but I did know that uh, the songs were 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 important to me, and I loved certain songs so much and still do yeah um and uh, so it was more than just a passing interest in songs and songwriters yeah it's that ability to to pick out the words that are being sung recognize them as the poetry and understand how this transcends a lot of what's going on i was listening to um the times they are changing by Bob Dylan the other day. And, and it was, uh, it was pre-election I'll say this. And it was earlier this summer when we were having a lot of the riots and there was a lot of pushback about the peaceful protests for the, the social un injustice going on in our country. And, 
you know, it was, it struck me with how a lot of the words that were being used to describe what was going on when Bob Dylan was writing the song with the Vietnam War protests and, and everything that was like, I cannot believe what's going on as far as the racism in the country was echo, very much uh, echo of, of what was going on this summer and continues to still go on. I don't want to diminish and say that we have, we have solved for this problem. It is still an ongoing issue. But to your point... When you have words and songs that have such a powerful message, someone can pick it up at any point in time and relate to it and have it resonate to them. Yeah. Yeah. If you get the words right, they are, they are uh, not trapped in time. Yes. Yes. The, tr the truth of Shakespeare uh, was true when he wrote it, and it's true in 2020. Right. <laughs> um, the truth of Dylan was true when he wrote it in 61, 62. Those songs, the early years songs, the folk singer Dylan songs, are as true now as they were then. Yep. And so it, it exists, truth exists outside of time. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I want to know, when did you pick up the guitar? When was that something that you started delving into? Was that also pretty well, early on? It happened after I got sober. I got okay. sober July 1990. I was 28 years old. And um, a couple of years after I got sober, I would probably, it, it's fuzzy. I don't know exactly, but in my mid-30s, sure. um, uh, I was taken to an open mic by a waitress that worked at the restaurant I was part owner of. And uh, I watched her perform an original song uh, at an open mic uh, at a club in Cambridge, Massachusetts called Club Passim. Uh, and, and it was like a giant, a, a comedic sized mega light bulb got screwed in and oh, wow. the light came on. And I, it, my, you know, my thought bubble was, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was built, it had built up inside of me, but I didn't even know it. Yeah. And I didn't know, I, I, it wasn't like I was dreaming of being in a song, it was a restaurateur. Yeah. But something just, I just went, I want to do that. Yeah. And um, uh, it would have never occurred to me if I hadn't have gotten sober uh, and, and, and started to process the pain instead of run from the pain. Yeah. And, and I just found what she did on that stage so compelling and i wanted to do it and uh, uh you know i had a guitar and i i dusted off the guitar and restrung it and and um eventually i don't know how long it was from going to the open mic to writing my first song and playing it but i did it and it became something that uh <laughs> here we are you know i <laughs> i i took it to the limit. I, I started going to open mics every night, all the time. Um, whenever I wasn't at work, I was either working on a song or, or practicing and, and it became a compulsion really. Uh, and, uh, uh, I wanted to get good at it so bad. And it really is, uh, is, is it, it's not, I'm not natural at it. I had to, I still do. I have to really work at it. Some people, they're just so good from the very Sure. they're just great um and uh you know i i've had to work at uh at all all of it writing singing playing um i still do and yeah. 
Um, but, but for some reason, although I'm impatient with a lot of things, I've been very patient with myself this and, and, uh, I just became uh, committed to getting better at it. And I still am. Um, and, uh, uh, so that's how it, it all, all went down is, is I watched the waitress that worked for me do it. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, I haven't stopped yet. And that was 30, what, 30 30 something years ago. That's crazy. That's absolutely Isn't crazy. It? Yeah. But I love I love how you talk about the 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 continual work and how it didn't come naturally because I do I do think as 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 much as I'm on a quest with this show to to give a behind the scenes retrospective of an artist's journey in life there are quite a few artists who come on here and do talk about the, well, I just kind of picked it up and it, then that was my journey and, and that's great. And that's their journey and that's their story. And it's fantastic. But I think it's very relatable to, to have someone come on and talk about, no, it was a lot of work and I still work at it and it's been 30 something years and I'm still continuing to work and work and work because it just shows that it, uh, anything that you, that is worth doing is worth doing well and is worth working at. And, and there was somebody that was on at one point that talked about no one's going to care as much about your music as you are. So you've got to put in the work and you've got to put in the focus and let people know why they should care and why they should listen and why they should invest their time and energy and effort. But but I love the 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 story of just knowing when you saw the open mic, like this is what I'm gonna do. I wanna do this, I need to do it, this is what's going on. So so Talk me through your first album was Dixie House, correct? Uh, Dixie Kitchen, Dixie which Kitchen, was uh, the name of my restaurant. That's yeah, right. I named the record after the restaurant. It was a, that's a nice little ode to to the restaurant. <laughs> I never thought it would lead to leaving the restaurant. <laughs> sure. When I still I was still I wanted to get really good at it, but I didn't expect it to become what I was going to do with my life. That right. happened over. Um, uh, you know, a number of years, it became clear over a number of years that, that, uh, that's what I wanted to do. It, but it, it took a long, you know, seven, seven, eight years of songwriting and, and going to open mics. And it, it was a process that unfolded. It wasn't a revelation to me. I didn't sure. expect that I would ever be good enough sure. to, uh, to to be a serious artist. It didn't occur to me that I could ever sing or play or write well enough to make a living at it. Yeah, I love it. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. I shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be gone. But it's not up to me dies and who carries on I sit in my room I close my eyes me and my guardian angel were still on the ride got holes in my eardrums bruises and claws Double vision And my stomach's in my Got pain in my fingers I hurt from my head to my toes 
Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And now, Mary, I want you to walk me through. You released Dixie Kitchen, and you've got several, uh, you've got drag queens and limousines coming out after that, but you've got several, you've got quite a discography. So I'd love for you to kind of walk us through some of the highlights of each of those records and, and some of the lessons learned as you're starting to build your catalog and continue to work at and expand your career and your reach and your influence. And this is mid mid nineties. Is that correct? Yeah. 95, 96. Okay. And the music industry scene obviously was very different than it is today, but I know that, you know, we've had several artists on here that were, going through the industry at a peak time, such as this, like uh, Todd Pipes from Deep Blue Something was on and Breakfast at Tiffany's was all over the airwaves in the mid nineties as well. So, so walk me through what it was like building out your career during this time. And then some of those lessons that you learned. Yeah. Well, um, the first thing is that I never paid attention to the music industry. I didn't expect to be in the music industry. Sure. Um, I, um, mostly paid attention to, to the, the group of songwriters that I was surrounded by. And I, I kept my eyes on the ones who I thought were really, really good. And, uh, I tried to model myself after what they were doing at that point. It was the folk singers in new England. You know, it was, yeah. um, Cheryl Wheeler. It was John Gorka, it was um, Chris Smither, and uh, 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 Jonathan Brooke, and the story, Jennifer Kimball, and um, uh, Dar Williams, uh, the Ellis Paul, and uh, the New England folk singers. Uh, and what they were doing was, was uh, no band, uh, guitar, spotlight, bottle of water, a small folk listening room. Um, and, and for me, the goal was if I can sell a hundred tickets at $20 with, with, um, just my guitar and me and my stories, that's $2,000. And if I do a 70, 30 split, that's what 1600 and something dollars a night. And, um, the expenses, since there was no band would be uh, a hotel room and maybe a rental car. Right. And, and for me, like, okay, if I could do that three nights a week, maybe four, I don't need any more money than that. Yeah. And I'm free. I don't have all the trappings that I had in the restaurant. Right. You no, know, I had, I was beholden to my investors. I was beholden to 22 employees yeah. to the landlord to all of the regulations around food and beverage industry. Um, it was stressful, it was hard, it was constant. Um, I, I was free. And so that was what I was paying attention to, not the music business. I was paying attention to, I want to break free of this restaurant and be independent. Like to me, to, to be able to do it with just me and an audience um, was ideal. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't like being, I liked the restaurant business, but I didn't like being responsible for everybody's sure. income and, yeah. and, and, and families really. I'm not only responsible for my employees, I'm responsible for their families. Yeah. So I never wanted to build 
a big, huge music business where I have a band, a bus, and a tour manager, and all the things that I'm just recreating the restaurant business. Right, right. Just you're I just moving it. That. And, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, my for me, I've always just wanted to keep it, um, to where I was, I could stay in love. And I've I've pulled it off, and it's it. I'm still excited about it. That's I don't awesome. hate it. At, I'm just so happy about it that I just can't even believe it that I can. I'm getting away. I've gotten away with it, you know. <laughs> so yeah, it started with Dixie Kitchen. Then I made a record called uh, Drag Queens and Limousines, and and you know, that got nominated for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I I was still in the restaurant business at the time that came out, but it it was nominated for. Uh, I was nominated for Best New Artist of the Year at the Boston Music Awards. Right, that's right. Um, and it got nominated for, uh, I don't know, a bunch of things. I don't even remember what it is. It was a long time ago, 97, 96. It was uh, the Gay and Lesbian American Music Awards. That's right. The Gay and Lesbian American Music Awards. It and won. Best Country Artist of the Year. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, it won. And then um, I got invited to play the Newport Folk Festival. That's awesome. Which as folk singer that's as good as it gets yeah like i went from open mics to newport folk festival yeah. without having played gigs that's crazy i didn't know what i was doing it was terrifying how did you how did you make that record did you just rent studio time and record it or how did that work for you i hired a producer mm -hmm. but i it, we he he helped me on two or three of the songs then and um we we both we're wanting to change careers. He was working at a commercial studio making uh, uh, radio and television commercials. Uh, and I was in the restaurant uh, running two restaurants at the time. And uh, we both just like, we wanted to change careers and, and we knew we needed to make a record that would, that would be, we had to, we had to put everything that, that we could into this record and we did. And so it, 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 it did the thing that a good record can do. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it propelled me. And after that, I knew I could leave the, I could leave the restaurant and, and he, he started his own, um, business as a record producer on just on the strength of, of the, um, the record that we made and one other one that he had made the Marty Stewart, uh, Marty Sexton black sheep record. Okay. Uh, Crit Harmon made that record and then Drag Queens and Limousines and he was off and running as a producer <laughs> and I was off and running as a folk singer. That's crazy. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, Filth and Fire, we made, uh, we, we made Filth and Fire. Yeah, that was best and, indie um, CD of the year by the New York Times. That was the number one independent CD of the year. That's in the New insane. York Times. So you're just up and up and up i mean you're just it's crazy and, and you're still probably like i don't believe this is happening i can't wrap my head around no. it you just did yeah, it i can't to believe any of it because i'm honestly just making this shit up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting away with it it's right. great i mean i know i have a knack for stories sure and i know that the pain that that i've lived through is the fuel for the songs mm -hmm. and it gives purpose to the pain. And I know that, that when you've gone through a lot, um, you either become mentally ill, uh, angry and bitter, 
are empathetic. Right. And I am so grateful that I became empathetic. Yes. And music helped me get there. Yes. I mean, for a while I was mentally ill. I was an addict and, and crazy. And, uh, and then I got sober and started getting better and I learned empathy yeah. and empathy, I think is what songs do, do well. Yeah. Uh, so songs and empathy go together. I, in fact, Steve Earle says songs are empathy. Great yeah. songs are empathy. I think he's onto something there because, um, I can get, if I do my job right, I can get you a civilian who's never been to war to know what it's like to be a soldier. Yes. And that was the last record that I put out writing with veterans to help civilians understand what our soldiers go through. Yes. And that understanding uh, is empathy yeah. to not only understand, but to feel it as if yeah. they were there. And that is putting yourself into someone else's skin for three and a half minutes and experience and uh, their reality. That's empathy. Yes. And so, uh, uh, I think the inside the curse is the blessing. And mm. that's what I've, I've uh, been gifted, I think, in my life. And, and um, I'm just smart to have run with it, I think. Yes. I, inside the curse is the blessing. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Because you are correct in that, you know, we talked about music has this ability to connect us and has this transcendent ability to give us empathy, even in a situation where you've not been a veteran, you've not been to war, all of these moments. But because of the ability of music to give us that empathy, when we as individuals don't want to feel because we haven't been able to work through our shit, um, it hits hard. It hits really hard. And I can remember having music hit in a way that I wasn't ready for and trying to figure out what to do with those emotions and trying to numb the pain or cover up the pain or give me new pain, right? And and it's difficult to to grasp. But then when we have worked through it and we are coming forward and, and ready to have this empathy and then the music washes over us it's a completely transcendent spiritual whatever you want to call it feeling that takes us to new heights and new levels and that is the power of music and yeah. and it it brings on new seasons in our life when it can yeah. it can be it can also be a drug and help us check out yeah it can it can it can be the ticket uh, in, into, um, uh, um, connection and understanding. It can also be the ticket out. Right. And, 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 and it can be used to check out or fuel rage or, or, or even hate. I mean, Hitler yeah. used music, right. Uh, to, to, to rally his, uh, SS troops. Yeah. So, so it can be used in so many different ways to manipulate emotion. Yes. Um, I love using it to help people, including myself to know we're not alone. Yeah. Connect the connecting yeah. power of music and song is what I want to tap into and what I do tap into. And, um, uh, there's, 
there's power in that that can can save lives. Yeah. I mean, this the soldiers have told me that, and I know that personally. Yeah. Um, that uh, it can be a lifesaver if you're lost at sea. It's something you can hold on to, and know you're not alone. Yes, yes. There's so many, especially now when we're in a situation where we're all you know, quarantining and in such a social distancing situation, it can feel even more lonesome. And, and so we need that music and that connection to feel close to our friends, our family and, and everyone else. I, your, your song, and we're going to close the show with it as well, but your song mercy now is just, I can't, I can't explain it, but every time I listen to it, it makes me feel refreshed it makes me feel relaxed but it also gives me empathy to others where i might be frustrated or worn out of patience with and it does allow me to check myself and try to give a little mercy now and that was the next record that you had and that was after you had signed a publishing deal if i recall correctly so walk me through what it was like to move to nashville have that publishing deal and then put mercy now together 15 years ago wow yeah wow <laughs> um yeah moved to nashville left the restaurant behind uh left the chef coats on the hangers um in the town i left yeah. um and um you know, uh, the uh, the publisher got me the record deal. Uh, I got a publisher just uh, sort of, I was lucky. I mean, the first publisher I talked to said, I'll, I'll pitch your songs. And, and then she got me the record deal on Universal. That's awesome. And then I was on a rocket ship uh, <laughs> yeah. for, for a little while. And then, and then it came back down. But, um, I think uh, uh, for a little while there, I thought that's kind of what it was going to be like. Like, okay, this is this is how it works. You right. go to Nashville, and somehow they discover you and put money behind you, and and then things start to 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 move a lot faster. Right. And um, but the thing is, is that is that um, what I didn't want to do, and and I didn't do. Uh, is to turn it into the restaurant business. Sure. You know, as much as as much as it probably would have benefited me to put a big band together, take the record company money at the time and and have them, you know, pay for a tour bus and all the accoutrement. I just chose not to do that. Yeah. Because I I didn't want I didn't want to end up I know my personality enough to know that wasn't going to I I yeah. I, I I like it small, not big. Yeah. And so uh um it was it was cool though. I I mean I got to go on tour with Willie Nelson, you know. His manager managed me for a year. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> it's cool. You know, yeah. I'm pay phone today and call Mark Rothbaum. <laughs> um and I got to be on the bus with Willie and the band and and uh you know, sing the gospel finale with them and, yeah. and stand next to them on stage and and soak that in. You know, I got to, to do amazing things, you know, be on the Opry on TV. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, and, uh, you know, they never asked me to be in a closet or pretend like I was, 
you know, something I wasn't. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wave a rainbow flag, but I also didn't wear a dress or put false eyelashes on, you know, right. I'm, I look like me, right. uh, and uh, nobody asked me to do it any differently. Awesome. And I had a, a, a lot of incredible experiences that I, I, uh, I treasure, you know. I, I got to be in a makeup room with little Jimmy Dickens and, and uh, uh, Porter Wagner. I'm, I'm sitting in the makeup with little Jimmy on one side and Porter on the other side. That's it's nuts. like, like, how the hell is this happening to me? Sometimes I feel like I'm Forrest Gump. Right. <laughs> You know, a little folk singer who just wants to sell a hundred tickets at twenty dollars. Next thing you know, I'm like, oh God! Yeah, you know that's Charlie Pride right, right. there. <laughs> who put me on this rocket ship? Shit, show? Marty <laughs> Stewart's introducing me and telling people to listen to me. What the hell's happening here? I love it. I love it. As we're as we're getting through, I want to know what was it like as we're starting to wrap up this particular segment i want to fast forward a little bit to your grammy nominated album a couple years ago um ro uh i don't want to misquote it it was rifles and rose rosary beads and it was what you were talking about with regards to <clears throat> the ability because you worked with veterans on this album to know their stories and understand them and to allow civilians like myself to have that empathy, even though you've never seen active combat, never been in war, never been a veteran, what was the genesis of putting that record together? And then I also love to know what it meant for for the hard work that you put into that album to have it honored with that Grammy nomination at the end. What was that like as well? Well, um, it was a process like most things, and uh, I have been part of a nonprofit organization called Songwriting with Soldiers for mm -hmm. quite some time. I think I've been in, in with them since since they they began, like in the first few months, uh, and uh, so that's going on seven years now. Wow. And so what, what uh, the organization does is pair professional songwriters with wounded veterans um, at retreat centers. And so we go in, it's usually four professional songwriters, uh, six uh, wounded veterans, sometimes with their families, a couple of counselors, a chef. And for over the weekend, uh, we bear witness and turn their stories into songs. Wow. Um, and uh, um, that uh, process was something I really took to, because uh, I understand um, from personal uh, trauma, experiences in my life, uh, the transformative nature of songs and yeah. how songs can really be useful when you can't find the words. The music can get you there, yeah. you know? Uh, and uh, so, I mean, I didn't understand military trauma or war trauma. Um, and so many of our female veterans are military sexual trauma. Sure. Um, which is rampant in the all branches of the U.S. military. And, and, um, uh, the 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 female soldiers I've I've written with over the years, uh, one after the other, described sexual harassment uh, and and sexual violence Oof. all around them, and 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 it's a real problem in the U.S. military that we need to deal with at some point. I think um, something happened this week around Fort Hood, but um, um, I, I I don't want to digress. I listened to their story help turn it into their song with their words. Um, and uh, the song started accumulating. 
And I found myself with sitting on like 40, 45 songs that I'd written over the years with veterans that I thought were really good. And I thought like, God, if I just picked 10 that told the story I've been hearing over and over again from those who've served, uh, this would be a really good record. Yeah. And so, uh, I got permission from the organization to make that record and I put it out into the world and started talking to audiences about what our veterans are going through and civilians had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea until I started talking to veterans what, what they go through. Yeah. And um, um, I wasn't expecting, my God, a Grammy nomination? Are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. But it, ha- you know, it, it, I don't know how these things happened, but yeah. it happened. I'm still thinking about the fact that you said, you know, I'm just a little old folk singer who was trying to sell 20, you know, like 100 tickets at $20. And yet here you are, the Grammy nomination. I know. And I'm at the Grammy sitting next to Weird Al Yankovic. Like, <laughs> I could see Dolly Parton's hair from where I sat. You know, well, she's, that could be, like, you know, that could be anywhere, but I know. <laughs> Anywhere in in in, <laughs> in, the, in the auditorium in the Staples Center, but <laughs> but it was you know it was it was like all the things that have happened along the way for me. It was it was both inevitable and outrageous. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like of course we're here because the weird shit happens to me every day, and then but it's outrageous because because it's just so unlikely. Yes, no, definitely. I love that. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Fish swim. Birds fly. Daddy's yell. Mama's cry. Old men sitting Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. And Mary, I want to talk about, I want to start with, at what point did you know you were gay? When were those first moments for you? And and we talked a little bit about this offline, but I'd really love to get your perspective, separate from music and then also incorporated into music, your entire identity and your sexual orientation. How did that manifest for you? Well, complicated because I was an alcoholic mm. and an addict. Yeah. So it was just as messy as it could be. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get sober till I was 28. Wow. Um, but I was probably always gay. Um, uh, and uh, uh, when I was really young, I got drunk and all kind of crazy stuff would happen. But um, emotionally, 
uh, which I really think that's, you know, sexually, um, I think a lot of people can can swing in a lot of directions. Sure. Um, emotionally, I, I've only deep been in love with women. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's what makes me say uh, I'm 100 percent gay. Sure. Uh, and uh, and so it's always it's pretty much always been true for me. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I came out uh, in high school, but I didn't come out. I mean, it was just a it was just obvious, you know, yeah, that, yeah. yeah you know, walks like a duck, talks like a duck. It's a duck. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really have to make a general announcement. Uh, but I think uh, uh, the the advantage of knowing young and and sort of dealing with it means means I, I uh, had a lot of lot of I was had a lot of running room before I got to the music business. Sure. I was established in my sexuality and in my acceptance of myself uh, deeply by the time I got to the music business. So it was a no brainer when we sat down with Universal. Um, you know, it was a no brainer for me to tell the CEO, look, you know, I'm gay and that's not going to change. And and he said, Mary, I, I finally I'm so happy to finally work with a gay artist who's comfortable with who they are. This is yeah. this is wonderful, yeah. you know, because I was willing to walk from the record deal if he wasn't willing to let me be. Sure. I was. And uh, but he was fine with it. He just wanted a good songwriter. Yeah. And so it worked That's out uh, uh, just great in that way. It, it's irrelevant, really. Um, yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. once you come to terms with it, it's it's almost irrelevant in that it, I don't write gay songs. I try to write good songs. Yes. And I think, I think that's the, the key is the fact that there are, you know, it's one of those situations where it, it, it shouldn't matter, but we, historically for so long, it has mattered in a negative way that we need to make sure that we're elevating these stories so people can understand you can be confident in who you are and write good music and be this incredible artist. And then people aren't obsessed with you, who you are and your sexual orientation or your identity. They're only concerned with the music. But And I think we have a lot of work to do to get people fully on that on that plane i think we're doing a much better job as a society but i think time, recent times have shown we still have a lot further to go to get everyone on board and and this is even you're talking about the the record deal and you signed that in 2000 and it was before mercy now but it was 2003 is that when you signed the the i signed that record the universal deal i signed in 2002 2002 okay so i mean this is and then that's that's a period of time too you know we if we want to like if anybody's listening to this i don't know at what point in the future but i just want to time box it and let people know in the united states marriage equality just as an example and a footnote didn't occur until 2015 and so you're talking talking about 2002 you're talking about was that 13 years previously to where not a lot of people were comfortable with people who were comfortable in who they were and so I, I think that's such a testament that you were fully comfortable with who you were and were willing to walk away from this deal if they weren't comfortable accepting all of Mary Gaucher and that you were in it for the long haul you were in it to write good music but this is who I am take it or leave it and I think that's beautiful and fantastic because you don't often hear these great stories about getting to be comfortable and then coming into the industry fully comfortable in who you are as a person. I think that's well. It helped that I was older. That's a good point. You know, yeah. I, I was older. I was forty. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, I had been gay a long time. There was no ungaying me. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and also, I think it helped that I wasn't interested in becoming um, super famous and, and invested in making this as big as it can be. Sure. Uh, that was never my goal. It still isn't my goal. Uh, and so if that deal didn't work out, it wouldn't break my heart. Um, because that wasn't, I, I was happy to have the help. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't, I didn't see it as I wasn't willing to trade my integrity for that. Right. Um, and so the situation is, is, is different than a young person who just wants to be famous and wants to succeed and knows that if they go to Nashville and they're gay, they're not going to get the deal. So they got to shut up about it. Mm. That's a different scenario and have a lot of empathy for that. Yeah. But that just wasn't my story. Yeah. I love that. What projects are you currently working on? I know it's it, COVID has, uh, has gotten everybody to, to get creative with how to not only do shows, you do a lot of uh, live streaming as well, but what type of projects or, or what songs or what is your current mindset as far as active projects, COVID aside, or perhaps enhanced or changed by COVID? Well, you know, I, I wrote a book and uh, it got picked up by, oh, that's right. um, yes, yes, yes. by uh, St. Martin's Press, which is a division, division of Simon & Schuster. It's yes. one of the big five in New York. Uh, so I'm going to have a big publishing push uh, saying, uh, probably uh, in the spring. The book comes out in July. Uh, and uh, it's like having another major label record deal, which is super exciting. I'm an author now. Yeah. So, so that's got um, some some legs under it. So I'm working on essays to have a follow-up of that book in case the book does well and they're wanting to put out another one. I want to have something there. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm working on essays uh, and uh, sort of the next round of what the next possible book could be. And I'm writing songs that they aren't taking any particular shape. Although I notice if, if I look at and what's piling up, there's a lot of grief right now. Mm. You know, there's a lot of loss, a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of people are, are, um, uh, I'm experiencing, uh, the loss of, of friends and what started with John Prine and, and, and mm. it just keeps coming. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm, I'm grieving a lot of loss of, of people I, I really love that have died this year. And uh, so the record, it, it, when it when it's all said and done, is 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 going to be a, a probably a a, a grief uh, uh, record, um, but also a love record because you you got to love uh, to grieve, and uh, and the love is forever. So um, uh, the loss is painful, but the love remains. Yeah. And so I, I, that's what I'm writing about as a songwriter. And then as an author, I'm writing about the creative process and trying to articulate it for young artists that are coming up or, or older artists uh, who are just getting started. I work with a lot of older songwriters who, who uh, were called to song young, but were talked out of it. They talked themselves out of it or they're, 
or they, their, you know, their spouse talked them out of it, or they just yeah. felt they had to take care of their family and their children, and they, you know, they moved on to other things. But the calling remains, and so yeah. I work with uh, songwriters who are, are older and um, uh, wanting to get back into creativity. Yeah, and uh, so I'm trying to articulate that in in my writing um as well uh and help i teach quite a bit it's really a big part of what i've been up to uh since the shutdown and the first shutdown in march yeah. is uh, online education uh working with songwriters around the world and mostly what i do is help them to be brave mm. and uh and how i do that is just by talking about how scary it is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. validating their fears and yes and letting them know that um, that uh, it, it is always going to be scary if you're going to be vulnerable. And if you're not going to be vulnerable, you're not really going to connect. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think you it's super helpful to lead with vulnerability, you know. And so when you're able to share your stories and experiences of having to work hard and starting a little bit later in life and just being able to share all of your experiences, then it empowers the the students that you're working with to feel comfortable to make mistakes and to learn and to grow overall because I think a lot of times we paint this picture as a society of, well, you've got to have everything figured out. And if you don't start young, then you're not going to have a solid career. And then you're not going to be able to get anywhere. And you're not, and you're not, and you're not, and so on and so forth. But I mean, so often we see about how folks a lot of times didn't find their true calling or what they were ultimately passionate about. And until much later in life, but in our minds, we truncate that and we think it was, you know, if we don't have it figured out by 21, we're screwed. And it's, I mean, come on, no one knows what they want to do by 21. I just, I don't believe that at all. I mean, I know what I was like when I was 21 and I had no clue what I wanted to do. So there we go. But (laughs) well, the brain is still developing until you're 26. Yes. So, yes. So, um, and you know, uh, one of the great things about uh, uh, being uh, uh, human is that you get to experience renaissances. Yes, and and you can reinvent yourself. And you know, okay. this is part of the the mystery is you can be one thing for a number of decades and then become something else. Yes, and we we have those type of transformative shifts in our personality and in our in our souls uh and uh we we are uh if we're brave enough we we are allowed uh, so to speak to to walk a different path uh, once the realization comes that the path that we're on isn't working for us anymore yes yes i love that i've often had um, it's a little cliche, but often had the five year retrospective, like where do you, where, where, what was the last five years like for you? Where do you see yourself in five years? That kind of a thing. And, uh, you know, it got to a point though, where it became a good benchmark for me to really critically think about what have I been doing and what do I want to do? And, 
And when I started realizing what I wanted to do could manifest in a variety of ways, I started finding ways to fully incorporate that. I love to tell stories. So I thought, okay, well, there's only one way I can tell stories. I need to be an actor and I need to tell other people's stories. And that's what I got to do. And then you started realizing like, oh, there's a variety of ways in which I could do it. Podcasting is one way I tell stories now, but there's a variety of other ways as well. And it's just, I say all of that to say, it's never too late to your point. And when you find something, dive in and just go ahead and know it's going to be work, but if you enjoy it, then it's worth it. Yeah. And you can give yourself permission. Yes. I mean, we, you know, part of the freedom of, of being, uh, in a, a Western culture is the freedom to reinvent yourself. Yes, definitely. I love that. Well, we've got, Mary, I've got two last questions here for you as we're wrapping this up. Uh, and the first one is if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, you can find me on Facebook, Mary Gaucher Music, and you can find me, uh, marygaucher.com, uh, Mary Gaucher on Instagram, certified account. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I, I think that's the big three. I love that. And then last question for you, Mary, is if somebody is listening right now and they want to break into the music industry or just get started, what is a mantra or a piece of advice that you would have for them? Persistence. Hmm. Um, I think that talent is everywhere. Um, persistence is not, Yeah. and it takes talent, but if, 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 if you persist and grow your talent, uh, and, and grow your skills and grow your confidence and, um, don't give up, uh, and, and keep going after person after person around you quits. That's how you get ahead. Yeah, you persist. It it it's a it really is a uh it's it it is a it is a matter of not quitting. It's persisting. And and envision what you want. You know, I knew what I wanted. That's the same thing. I I still want it. I want every town I play in to, to you know to break the hundred ticket mark. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know if we. If we do better, and we often do, great. But that's still, you know, it's not twenty dollars anymore; it's thirty dollars. Right. So you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. but get the numbers, get the get the figures, and and understand yourself, and 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 know that um, not every personality is suited for stadiums. You know, I don't want to, I don't want the machinery that's required for all that. Right. I like the small listening rooms, the city wineries, the the. Um, the freight and salvages, the, 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 the small two, three, four, five, six hundred seat theaters. Yeah. Uh, that's what suits me personality wise. Yeah. And, but persist, uh, in what it is that you want and, and don't give up. That's how you get there. I love it. I love it. Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute delight. Pleasure's mine. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one last time is Mary Gaucher. 
my father Sure could use a little mercy now The fruits of his labor Falling right slowly on the ground His work is almost over It won't be long, he won't be around I love my father He could use some mercy now My brother sure could use a little mercy now. He's a stranger to freedom, shackled to fear and doubt. The pain that he lives in, it's almost more than living.
No. 